This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. On May 23rd, the Biden administration will end the border policy known as Title 42, which was first enacted by President Trump as a response to prevent further spread of COVID-19 by preventing migrants from entering the country seeking asylum. However, recently, the CDC announced that these policy measures are no longer necessary under today's public health conditions and will terminate the public health authority that supported Title 42. Once the policy is lifted, thousands of migrants that are camped in northern Mexico will be allowed to make their asylum claims within the country. This also coincides with the recent decision to exempt Title 42 for Ukrainian refugees fleeing their country and allowing them to enter the U.S. These impending measures have raised concerns both from Democrats and Republicans on matters of border security, public opinion, and public health consistency. To help make sense of what is to come in the next month and the thought process surrounding these decisions, joining me today is Erickson Immigration Group's Senior Attorney, Counselor Affairs, Aaron Connell. Pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Title 42 is a major battleground issue in immigration and polarizes voters in Capitol Hill on both sides of the aisle. The next month for the administration will be critical in deciding the trajectory of immigration policy and the ideological outlook moving forward. So a quick snapshot of these various moving parts will be helpful in understanding the direction and challenges this administration will face. But first, let's start with Ukraine. The Ukrainian exemption states non-citizens who are in possession of a valid Ukrainian passport or other valid Ukrainian identity document may be considered for exemption from Title 42. So Aaron, could you give us a brief gestalt on the current conditions in Ukraine today and just how many are arriving in the United States? So we can get some insight into how the U.S. government is thinking about Ukraine from the announcement giving Ukrainians temporary protected status. TPS for Ukrainians was previewed a few weeks ago by the administration, but the full announcement only came out yesterday. Legally, the government has to justify its its decision to grant TPS to nationals of a particular country by showing that forcing them to return would threaten their personal safety. So the TPS announcement gives us a good idea of what the government is thinking about, what the US government is thinking about conditions in in Ukraine. It highlights the human rights abuses being perpetrated in Ukraine by uh, the Russian government, including the shelling campaigns on cities and towns that have so far killed more than 3,000 people, attacks on hospitals and other places where people are known to be sheltering and the attempts by the Russian army to starve people in the cities by cutting off their access to humanitarian aid. All of this is acknowledged in the announcement, which states pretty plainly that the US government believes that Russian forces have committed war crimes. Um, the TPS announcement also highlights the particular hardships that are, that are being faced uh, by women, children, and, and the elderly. It cites a figure from the UN that about 30% of those in need of humanitarian assistance right now in Ukraine are over age 60. It also cites the figure that more than 1 million people are in need of food right now in Ukraine and that there are critical shortages of medical equipment, medicines, safe water. Uh, The report also indicates that the conflict has caused 
The report says more than 4 million people to flee the country, but that figure is already outdated. The UNHCR estimates 5 million have fled Ukraine and another 7 million are displaced within Ukraine. So in terms of, you asked about how many people, how many Ukrainians are arriving to the US southern border. It's really hard to tell because uh, Customs and Border Protection, CBP, only releases the numbers of, of arrivals uh, monthly. So last month in March, it was 3,200 Ukrainians. The majority of those were in the last half of the month because CBP stopped applying, as you indicated, CBP stopped applying Title 42 for Ukrainians arriving at the southern border on March 11th. Um, so we don't know what the number will be for April, but given that, you know, there are anecdotal reports that about a thousand people a day are showing up in Tijuana alone, one of the, one of the ports of entry, the number for April of Ukrainians arriving at the Southern border is probably going to be about 10 times what it was in March. So probably around 30,000 people. Right. So 30,000 people and with having at least a thousand people arriving in Tijuana a day. Opponents raise concerns that lifting the Title 42 would weaken our country's border policies and result in opening the levees on the southern border. Yeah. How is the administration weighing these factors between returning back to normal and doing so in a way that does not jeopardize border security? Okay. So I think it's important to remember that this is not the only or the first surge of, uh, of migrants that this country has been faced with. Um, and I think it's important to take a step back on Title 42 and remember that Title 42 was a health policy, which basically put health law in front of immigration law. Title 42 says that the CDC has the legal authority to direct CBP to expel people rapidly, even as they are approaching the port of entry, rather than apprehend them or process them, which is what immigration law, which is Title VIII, directs. So it's, it's basically putting Title 42, a health law, ahead of Title, Title VIII, which is our immigration law. So Title VIII provides some rights for migrants like being able to actually request asylum or humanitarian parole at a port of entry. Um, so basically the application of Title 42 prevents the application of Title 8. So because one is expelled from the border area before one can even be uh, you know, apprehended or processed. Um, so that's why a lot of people think that Title 42 in the first place was kind of an end run around the proper actual application of the law that was written for, you know, for, for this circumstance. So the end of Title 42, in my opinion, doesn't jeopardize border security because CBP already had ample tools in the Title VIII legal toolbox to protect border security. It can apprehend people, it can expeditiously remove people, that is without reference to a, a judge or a hearing. It can turn people around without processing them, that is physically move them from the border zone back to Mexico or even back to another part of Mexico, which makes it, it discourages them from crossing. Um, it can even remove people without process if they're apprehended within 14 days of their entry and 100 miles of the border. 
So, and also many people who seek asylum at the southern border are compelled to remain in Mexico to await their asylum hearing through the Remain in Mexico protocol. So many people view Title VIII tools for keeping asylum seekers, view the Title VIII tools for keeping asylum seekers out of the US while they await their hearings and the Title VIII tools for apprehending and removing people who attempt to cross illegally are pretty adequate for, for border uh, enforcement. Now, border Patrol alone has about 20,000 agents. So really it's up to Congress to keep them well-resourced. I think what we have in Title VIII is not, we may have an operational problem, a resource problem. I don't think we have a legal problem in terms of legal tools to, to enforce immigration law. So Title 42 really just got in the way of, of Title VIII. Got it. And that's an important distinction because the conversation is not surrounding Title VIII, you know, the protocol that's going to be exactly standing, right. It's it's over for, uh, Title Forty Two, and right now um, there is no consideration of lifting Title VIII. Correct? Oh no, right. no. It, it's as if people assume that you know we needed Title Forty Two because we have no immigration law to begin with, or or no right. legal tools. To, uh, to enforce the border. We have ample legal tools to do that. As I said, there might be a resource constraint and there are arguments about where which resources should go where. Uh, there's no legal inadequacy of, of Title VIII to, to protect our border and to allow in certain circumstances for lawful applications for asylum. Got it. So there's border security framework still in place. That's important to drive it, home. Ex exactly. Exactly. So that is what's happening in Capitol Hill. Now let's look to the level of reception of this policy in public opinion. And so a lot of conversations that's been having over, over the last couple of weeks. Some are considering this move to be potentially politically self-inflicting. MSNBC polling is showing that 54% of swing voters oppose Biden rolling back Trump-era border control measures in recent studies. How do you think this will factor into this administration's decision-making in the coming months as the midterm elections draw closer? And will this potentially cause a pushback on the date of lifting the policy? Yeah, I think no matter what the administration does, it's probably going to act as fodder for the cultural warriors who already think, back to the last point, who already think our immigration laws are either not there or, or inadequate. Uh, again, the CBP and Border Patrol have ample powers under the law to arrest, detain, remove without process anyone they encounter who has no visa. Even if someone is in the interior of the US, there are powers through Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, to apprehend and prosecute in immigration court those who are thought to be here unlawfully. Um, so if the system is inefficient or under-resourced or ineffective, that is, and there are there are certainly arguments that it are, that it is, but that's really an operational question that needs to be addressed. It's not a, again, it's not a legal deficiency. Uh, which makes us need a supplementary uh, authority like Title 42. Uh, Title 42 was, again, a health a health measure, and the 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 need for that um, has, from a health point of view, has largely passed. And I think it's sort of difficult balancing 
the health measure versus the political agenda versus public opinion and having a framework that's consistent. So a hard question the Biden administration will have to answer, in my opinion, is if the White House is willing to extend the mask mandates for flights, how can they show equal concern with the COVID risk at the border? A clear and consistent stance needs to be made on the public health emergency to gain trust from the public, because as of now, we're wavering between its level of severity determined on an issue to issue basis. And from the outside looking in, this seems to be a major hurdle the administration must address to maintain credibility. Well, I mean, whether you're dealing with a a public place or a certain setting the response from a health point of view, I mean, I'm not a health practitioner, but the response from a health point of view has to be tailored to the to the circumstances. So if we look at the border, um, I mean, it is a it is a hub of activity, right? So pre-pandemic, about 200,000 people crossed the U.S.-Mexico border every day. So trade relations with uh, between with Mexico and Canada are obviously extensive. Um, about $2 billion worth of goods cross the border every day. There are people who live in the United States and work in Mexico and vice versa uh, lawfully. And there are lots of folks who cross lawfully every day for even something mundane like getting lower prices on, you know, on, on certain things they buy or to see friends and family. It's a really fluid place with traffic each and every day. And economically, it's a region unto itself. Uh, The border closures during the pandemic really crippled the the communities uh, down there economically um, on both sides of the border. So in that sense, you know, the ports of entry at the southern border are just like any other busy, active public place. Should you wear a mask there? Well, I, I mean, I would. But do you need to actually expel someone from even approaching the port of entry because they might have COVID, which is what Title 42 does or allows officers to do? And I think, I think given the current health state and the importance of the ports of entry to our trade and commerce between countries, Title 42 looks a lot like overreach and I, I was uh, I was pleased to see that it was uh, repealed. Got it. And just wrapping up for the next month, how do you see uh, the conversation going in one the media on on Capitol Hill as we approach this May twenty third date? And uh, what can you project or foresee the the pushback being? Well, I, I think the the administration's sort of enemies are are going to or 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 people who who want you know different party members to be in control of the of, of the Senate a different party to be in control of the Senate will make the most out of the repeal of uh, title 42 and they'll call it you know lack of commitment on the part of the administration to you know, border security, but it's nothing like that. It was superfluous to begin with from a legal point of view and and unnecessary. It may have been necessary from a health point of view, but but the health circumstances have certainly changed. Um, So, uh, you know, 
anybody who really looks at the situation and studies what's going on down there um, will not make much of the of the of the idea that Title Forty Two is 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 now gone. Again, it was it was at least from a legal point of view pretty superfluous um, to begin with, and now we just fall back to our immigration law. If operationalized and used properly, can provide uh, you know all the border security we need. Right. I thank you, Aaron, for coming on and bringing your insights. And I agree, Capitol Hill has to adjust to the circumstances that they're presented with, right? This is a ever-changing, ever-flowing sort of environment, and you have to be ready and approach it with that manner. Um, So it's always a pleasure and honor to have you on, Aaron. Thank you for coming. Thanks. It was great to be here. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.